The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn presents. Early in my career, I was shooting for what we're all told is a good idea, work-life balance, with work on one side and life standing apart on the other side of the scale. But this balancing act was exhausting. In reality, work and life weren't separate because I wasn't separate. I don't put on one hat and take off another. I wear all my hats at the same time. That's why I've come to believe not in work-life balance, but in work-life integration. Hi, I'm Michael Kavnat. This is the Next Big Idea Daily, and it's Monday. Are you ambitious? I'm betting you are. Otherwise, why spend time listening to a podcast like this, one designed to boost your career and your life? But if you're like most of us, you might tend to hide your ambition. After all, in some quarters, showing that you have a strong desire to succeed could be seen as a little tasteless. If that's the case for you, you'll want to hear these key insights from Unapologetically Ambitious, Take Risks, Break Barriers, and Create Success on Your Own Terms by Shelley Archambault. As a teenager, Shelley set out to become a CEO, and boy, did she do it. She's led several tech companies as one of Silicon Valley's first female African-American CEOs. She's written for Forbes and was featured in the Harvard Business School case study, Becoming a CEO. Unapologetically Ambitious is a fascinating blend of memoir and practical career advice, and it was selected by the Next Big Idea Club curators as a fall 2020 winner. Here's Shelley with the key insights from the book. Self-assurance is the ability to say yes to yourself when most people around you are saying no. It's the power of believing in your own ability to make choices about your life, and not just to make choices, but to make them responsibly. We become self-determined people when we are fulfilled in three psychological areas, competence, autonomy, and relatedness. In a nutshell, competence is the ability to handle yourself. Autonomy is the sense that you can make your own choices and look out for your interests. And relatedness means feeling like you fit in. Research shows that if you don't have all three, you'll be more likely to struggle or withdraw from challenges. But if you do manage to strengthen all of them, you will be prepared to not only set wise life goals, but to reach them as well. So take a look at your own life. Which key factors of self-determination have you developed? Which are you lacking? What could you do to develop your competence, autonomy, and relatedness? Even small steps can make a big difference. For example, if you grow your competence by learning a new skill at work or taking on an extra project on the side. When I was younger, I cultivated a sense of autonomy by learning how to sew instead of waiting for my mom to make my clothes. And you can work on your sense of relatedness by connecting more intentionally with colleagues, neighbors, and more. Taking these steps now will strengthen your ability to stand firm in your decisions, even when others aren't so sure. Early in my career, 
I was shooting for what we're all told is a good idea, work-life balance, with work on one side and life standing apart on the other side of the scale. But this balancing act was exhausting. In reality, work and life weren't separate because I wasn't separate. I don't put on one hat and take off another. I wear all my hats at the same time. I'm always a leader, a mother, a wife, a friend, and so much more. That's why I've come to believe not in work-life balance, but in work-life integration. Life has overlapping responsibilities of career, family relationship, friendships, communities, self-care, and more. Of course, in any given moment, I'm focusing my attention in one particular area. But I'm always trying to integrate everything that makes me myself. While the standard of balance can feel limiting, if not impossible. The concept of integration is empowering. It's an invitation to combine your passions and responsibilities in a creative, productive way. For example, I find it challenging to integrate time for friends and networking into my busy schedule, but I learned a few tricks. I could exercise alongside a friend, take the kids to the park with other mothers, or invite people over for a potluck dinner and a movie. At work, on occasion, I'd leverage lunchtime to network, or I'd take a walking meeting to combine work and exercise. When Scotty and I did go out, we'd often invite others in order to combine socializing and networking. In fact, Scotty and I rarely went to our favorite dance performances with fewer than 20 friends. Creating an integrated life plan means just what it sounds like. Your life plan should honor all parts of you. So consider, what parts of your identity are most important to you? What values do you want to put into action? I firmly believe that if you're willing to do the work, you can have everything you want, but not necessarily all at the same time. And that's okay. Life is a series of different phases. As a young mother, I didn't travel much or go to fancy restaurants, but I had a successful career and a healthy family. Once my kids left the nest, I enjoyed traveling with Scotty, having new experiences and broadening my career. This is how an effective life plan works. It has room for everything, just not all at once. I still recall the comment that caught me most off guard when I was a student at Wharton. In my strategic marketing class, we were divided into project teams. And one of my new teammates said, Shelly, I'm excited to work so closely with you. You've got such a great reputation. I was surprised. I knew this student by sight, but we had never actually met before. I didn't think of myself as high-profile student on campus, and I didn't know about any reputation or how she'd heard about it. Was she talking about me, or did she have me mixed up with somebody else? I asked her what she meant, and she mentioned the suits that I wore around campus. I had been working part-time at IBM, so on some days, I arrived at my classes looking extra professional, and apparently, it made an impression. I already looked successful and like I had it all figured out, so people assumed that I did. From the halls of middle school to company boardrooms everywhere, reputation matters, as it represents the way others look at us and think about us. And for better or worse, it can play an outsized role in future opportunities. While we can influence our reputation with our actions, we can't fully control it. So the key is to be intentional and think through how our actions impact others' perceptions. Building a reputation may start with first impressions. 
but it is quickly followed by strong performance and sharing your successes in an effective way. The key thing to remember is that simply doing great work is not enough to establish your reputation. People won't know what you've done unless you tell them. I'll give you an example. As CEO, I like to check in casually with my employees whenever I'm walking through their work area. Just a casual hello, how are you? Some employees will say hi, tell me about their day, their activities, even their problems. But a handful of people stand out because they give me a quick report on their recent accomplishments. Doing great, Shelley. We just resolved a challenging issue with customer XYZ. That's memorable. It takes next to no time, and it gives me a positive feeling about that person's dedication. You are your own best advocate. So advocate for yourself and your team. By the way, ever since that day at Wharton, I always dress up for work. Whatever the acceptable attire is for the occasion, I try to make sure I'm a notch above it. Ultimately, it just makes me feel good. And science says I'm not alone. Research shows that dressing well can measurably improve your mental state and self-perception. And in my experience, when you feel better about yourself, you perform better, which only adds to the reputation-enhancing effects of dressing up a bit. By looking your best, doing top-notch work, and telling others about your successes, your reputation is sure to receive a boost. There's a school of thought that each of us should figure out what our strengths and weaknesses are, and then we should strengthen the weaknesses. To me, this makes no sense at all. I say you ought to strengthen your strengths because that's how you become the most valuable to your team. Yet I know many successful professional women who still believe that they have to know how to do everything and do it well. A woman might berate herself for lacking a seemingly basic skill like knowing how to format a document while a man will readily hand such a task over to a junior employee. In short, at home and at work, women tend to believe we are cheating if we accept help or inadequate if we can't seamlessly transition among a wide variety of tasks. This mentality is stifling at home, and at work, it can slow the progress of your career. In order to have a healthier personal life and also rise within an organization, you have to accept certain responsibilities, to delegate some tasks to the right team members, and to seek guidance from others as you face new challenges. It seems evident on the surface that we shouldn't expect ourselves to be perfect polymaths, but I've known many women who have gotten stuck in their careers because they were unable to master a skill they could have delegated, unwilling to delegate a task that someone else could do, or unwilling to seek guidance when they needed it. I like to say, the more you do, the less you get paid. In other words, it's your ability to get work done through others that gets you promoted up the career ladder. I don't mean that senior people don't work hard. Most do. But they take fewer tasks on personally. Instead, they inspire, direct, review, edit, and enable their teams to get work done and execute on strategy. That's what good management looks like. And it definitely doesn't mean doing everything yourself. There's some conventional wisdom in the professional world about why women don't get promoted. It more or less boils down to women don't ask for what they want. The reality, however, is much more complex. In 2016, the Women in the Workplace study found that women do ask for what they want. 
a big change since the early years of my own career. This is positive progress. But there's a catch. Women who negotiate are 30% more likely than men to be told they're too aggressive, bossy, or intimidating. Moreover, women receive less informal feedback from their supervisors, which suggests a communication disconnect, not to mention a paradox. Women are told simultaneously to ask for what they want and to stop pushing. Interestingly, both those pieces of feedback turn the responsibility back to us, suggesting it's our fault if we have difficulty getting opportunities. Meanwhile, we are hard-pressed to get constructive feedback on how to become that ideal, assertive, yet gentle employee. I don't have a definitive solution to this issue, but I can tell you what has worked for me. Not only have I learned to tell people what I want, I've learned to tell everyone what I want. When I have a goal, I put it out in the open, and it becomes a part of my identity. I say broadcast your intentions. You never know who's listening or who might have a connection. The more people who know what you want, the more likely you are to get an opportunity. It takes some guts to tell everyone what you want. It does feel risky. But you have to learn to take those risks. I have a mantra in these situations. I ask myself two simple questions. What's the worst that can happen? And if the worst does happen, can I live with it? Usually, when it comes to asking for what I want, the worst that can happen is that I get told no, and I can live with that. I have found that the benefits of broadcasting my intentions far outweigh the discomfort of hearing no. And if you too can live with that discomfort, don't be afraid to speak up and tell people what you want. Thank you, Shelley. Well, listeners, wherever you are in your own career, you'll want to check out our Next Big Idea app. It's got tons of useful advice on leadership and productivity, not to mention relationships, parenting, and just about anything else you can think of. Just look for the Next Big Idea in your app store. And come back here tomorrow when we'll hear some big ideas from Little Treatments, Big Effects, How to Build Meaningful Moments That Can Transform Your Mental Health by psychologist Jessica Schleider. I'm Michael Kovnat. See you tomorrow.